Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Welcome to another radar. Uh, now, this is a special uh, two-parter with Ahmed Jaleli. Ahmed has just brought out an autobiography, so I had no idea you were in your nineties. Um, you had no idea I was what? You're, you're in your nineties. That's when people. I'm in my nineties. <laughs> that's when people bring out their memoirs. I honestly didn't know what you said. And memoirs. Um, you you do it when when you're asked, and I've been asked a few times, but I always said no because I thought I wasn't old enough. What age are you now then? Forty-eight. Right. Snap. How old are you now? Snap. We're the same age. Yeah. No, I was. I, was, I, was, I always love your stuff because I get everything you say. But don't you think, um, like, in your stand-up, can't you say all those things that you kind of say in the book live as well? I just had a review on Chortle, actually, that says that he never really talks about his own life. Of course you do. That's what I didn't know what he's talking about. That's all I do is talk yeah. about my life. So I didn't quite understand it. But there are... The elements of my life which I think are interesting but don't necessarily get laughs, I thought that would yeah. be an interesting thing to talk about. That's so, what you do two-hour shows for on tour. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But it was, a, it was a very... I mean, you've done a book, haven't you? Yeah, you've but done, I, I brought out two books of fiction and poetry. And poetry yeah. is very personal, but like, if there's something I want to say, I'll say it on stage. I would never bring yeah. out an autobiography because I don't want people to know about me. Oh, really? And it's not where I'm hiding anything, but I just... I, I can't remember a lot of the early days anyway. I think it's important that people get to know me because a lot of people think I'm, I'm a kind of sleeper cell. I've really integrated myself into British but that's, society. That's, that's chapter one, isn't it? <laughs> yes, I'm finally. But I just kind of felt it was... Um, but seriously, do you come across racism still then? Not racism, but people always ask me why, why you were stand-up, why are you doing why are you writing a book? And I think the stock answer I've been given, I've been giving a, a stock answer to all the TV and radio, and I think it kind of works, it's true. Is I kind of wrote it for my kids. I've got three kids. Right. I'm always on you tour. You don't talk to them, no? Well, I'm always on tour, and I thought they don't really know me, so I right. thought I've written this book for you. And they said, but, Dad, you're going on tour, weren't you? Yeah, so while I'm away, just read the book. Did you give them a signed copy? I said, no, no signed copies, but if you've got any questions, just email my secretary. But was there anything in the book that you were, were kind of worried that the kids, I don't want the kids to know this, then? There was a few things, yeah, the few things which my wife edited. She, she was helping All me right. edit it as well, and she said, I'm not sure the kids really... Now, there are lots of things about our relationship because I talk about because each book has to have some kind of romance. In it. And tell me this: has it gone up to the present day, or are you Mister Tupac? No. Do you know what? It's interesting. There was a whole there was a whole big thing about comedy that I'd written, which we just cut because we thought it's too involved. It's too, it makes the book too long. Right. And they said, hopefully, you'll do a second book, and then so it's basically my whole life, most of my life, without the comedy. Which stuff. is weird. Cause that's Which is very weird. Most people know you for that in Splash. Yeah, and I, 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 I ended... See, it's interesting. You go up to a certain point. For me, I kind of went up to after university and trying to go to drama school and yeah. trying to break into the acting world. And I've just kind of dealt with the first few films. But I've not really dealt with comedy. I, I wrote about it, but they just felt it was an overload. So was it at the, like where you started talking about the beginning of your comedy career and they said, just stop it there? They said, let's start with your comedy career. Then let's look back at your life. There was a st structure to it. And, right. then they said, and then we'll take it up to a point where you're comfortable and then leave enough for a second book. And at any point did you think, uh, let's have uh, a ghostwriter? Or were you happy enough to go, yeah, I'll no. do it? 
I, d- I thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to write it myself because I heard about that. I heard that even, I can't say any names, but certain really yeah. well-known people have, which you wouldn't have thought have ghostwriters. And I thought I can't. And I said, how does that even work? And they said, you just sit in a room with someone and talk. you talk and they write. Well, I said, I couldn't let anyone do that. I couldn't, I, c- I can't even trust a journalist to write something that I've said. I, know, so, I read that piece, uh, that, was it for the Times, Sunday Times, where they had that, where they gave the extract as well? Yes. And uh, they just took the most miserable picture they possibly could of you? Yeah, they did. They took some miserable pictures, and even that's an abridged version, so there were lots of things I thought, whoa, whoa, they haven't, they've just taken bits out, and they've been very, very yeah. selective here, so... Well, they took bits was, out of the extracts. Well, the extracts, it was just a little bit here, a right. little bit there, a little bit there, they didn't really... And even the, the bits which they run some paragraphs, they'd say, Do you know, we don't need that bit, let's just run it on with the next, this paragraph yeah, they're, seven. They're nightmares like that. But then again, you know, nobody knows, and they're doing it, it's apparently a real honour if they do. I know, front they page. Don't really, yeah, front page is amazing, yeah. so I, I can't really complain. No, because I'll, I'll tell you a story, and this is, podcast is about you, but just about what newspapers mm. do. I used to write for uh, <clears throat> the Sunday Times in Ireland, and I was doing a piece about being Irish in England, you know, mm. pretty similar, like, background to you in the sense of, yeah. as an outsider coming in. And uh, I did it, but the end piece was, I just said, it was a time when coming over from Ireland to England, you had to go through a separate channel because mm. of the terrorism, and it was Ireland and Jersey had to go through a separate... Yeah, I remember, yeah. And I, I did. A, I finished with a line just saying, it's funny, they've never caught any members of the JRA that way, and uh, they saw it as a typo and put down IRA, <laughs> which made me look like a really sour-pressed <laughs> pro-Republican. And you're right, you can't trust newspapers You just that. can't trust them. Exactly. So was that one of the reasons why you did the autobiography, saying, I'm going to get the truth out? Yes, I think so. I think, um, first of all, it was... Uh, and the advance. And well, the advance is always very, very good. But the uh, I did it as a therapeutic thing, because I think you get to a point in your life where you think, actually, it's good to... If I'm going to really enjoy the last section of my life, when once you hit... I've been thinking about this since I was 50. 45. Yeah. Coming up to 50. It is. And I really want to live my life as well and as, and as, and as much courage and really go for it. I, I, people I know in their 50s really go for it. Yeah, I feel, it's weird, isn't it? Because with musicians, mm. like, you know, when they start off, they're full of rebellion and stuff. Yeah. And then when they hit our age, their music is usually shit. Yes. And for with comics, for some reason, we get angrier. And we get better. I yeah. think we get, I'd never understood what Frankie Ball... We th- talked about this last time when Frankie Ball said you've got to stop it when you're 40. He's doing it again now, though. Is he saying it again? But no, he's 40, no, he's, he's doing stand-up again. Yeah, and how old is he? He's well into his 40s. Like, exactly. Well, you shouldn't say stuff like that anyway. No. But we all say things we regret. Yeah. But is it like having... Now that the book's come out, is there anything you regret putting in it? No. Nothing, nothing. I think there's a one too many probably show busy stories. I mean, I try not to do that, but just there's a few. Any kind of celebrity I mention are all in the film world, and it's right. all about lessons I've learned. Yeah, because you're not really a show busy kind of person. No, I've never really been. I'm, I'm not good looking enough. I'm not thin enough, and I'm not really. I don't think I'm interesting enough for the tabloids. You're not really selling this book to us. No. <laughs> I'm not really interesting enough for parties, <laughs> no, for the but I'll write a book. But I'll write a book, because I think, I think my life is, is, is interesting in the sense that how is it possible someone like me, from my background, I'm beginning to realise I've done... Re- I've only now gone on tour and I realise that actually anywhere I go, there's, the people seem to be very happy to see me and they laugh a lot. What's your demographic for your live audience? It's every, that, I don't have a demographic. I used to joke that it was 16-year-old Pakistani boys in Kingston who got very excited when I went to the Kingston Bowl. Right. And they chased me around when I was went bowling with my kids. But now I realise it's actually all backgrounds, all ages. I'm having literally kids of eight and people of 80. 
have come along from so all different backgrounds. Your show's suitable for eight-year-olds? No. <laughs> it's some really wacky parents. <laughs> some Iranian parents who really want to see me so, and don't have a babysitter. But are you seen as... Um, <clears throat> it's a bit like, you know, with Henning. He's seen as the German Henning comic. Wayne, yeah. Are you seen now, like, like, as a slight ambassador for Iran in, in this country? I don't know. I had a question the other night. Someone said, do all Iranians go around in clumps? I saw another Iranian comedian last night. I said, who did you see last night? He went, Shapi Khosandi. I said, that's me in a dress, you idiot. And um, he didn't laugh. He actually believed me. He really thought I'm the only person doing it. So, no, I'm, I think that that's why I've called the show Iran Lama Ding Dong, is I'm, I'm done with all that kind of Iran stuff now. So it's, why not just hear what someone's got, what's the, what their viewpoint is? Well, that's what I mean. Like, so are you kind of pulling away? Because a lot of the early stuff was like, you know, about, you know, Iran background. this, yeah. Iran that. Yeah. So are you, you don't want to be kind of uh, seen as the Iranian comic then? No, I think it's when my kid, who's 14, said to me, oh, are you going to talk? He goes, oh, no, you're not going to be shouting about Iran, are you again? And I went, oh, no, is that, is that how you see me? He goes, yeah, that's how my friends see you. But were you born in... I was born here. Yeah. I was born in Britain, yeah. so that's, that's really weird. Like, I've, I've, my you, life is weird. My whole life is weird. Just when I, when I wrote it, I thought, my goodness, I'm, I'm a very weird person. What's next for you? You'll probably end up doing something for Discovery, like tasting curries or something. For the what? For Discovery Channel. The Discovery, yeah, I'll be doing that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I heard. That that's your next job, isn't it? I've done it. No, I've done it. I, I did it as another thing that I just did because it was a crazy... I like, I like, have you done documentaries? You've done documentaries. Yeah, well. I, they're I love, fun. I love watching them as well. No, they're great. They're great fun. And I, they said, can you... Would you? It was pitched to me three times. I said, no, I'm not doing it. I said, we want, we want to send someone around Britain tasting all the hottest dishes. Why did we count me out? I was like... Bizarrely, you know what? Obviously, after you turned that down, they offered me it. Did they offer us? And I said, you do know I'm vegetarian, so that just cuts out a lot of the food. And I went, no, it doesn't matter. Is so, that right? Did you say that? And then, then I said, I can't do this because I'm vegetarian. But that's obviously when you must have turned it down. Well, I turned it down three times. Then they came back. And, and I was like, I said, hang on. So, let me, so what is it? Because you go around... And we just, it's, it's a documentary. I said, maybe it's about food in general. We'll try different food. He goes, no, it's about the chili. And I became like Hudson in Aliens. I went, did you count me out? Forget about that. I'm not having one of those things. You'll be crazy. And then they said, look, we've, we've changed it now. We think it's, you are they, now an They every changed man. the money, yeah. They changed the money and they changed, <laughs> uh, no, they changed the, basically the, 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 the idea was that it was meant to be someone who loves it. And now they said, well, I think it's funny. They can think it's funny if someone really hates it. So do you hate hot food? I can't stand hot food. Can't stand chilies. I was on Room One Hundred and One. I put chilies in Room One Hundred and One. And so, did you get sick then when you were having to I eat? Did completely. I got so sick, and it's not so much sick when you have the one of the hottest dishes. It goes through you in twenty minutes. Yeah. And it was so traumatic that the next time I had a really hot chili, it stayed in my body for about a week because my body's saying, "You know what? We're going to protect your nether regions. We're going to hold it in here until the chili dissipates. Then we'll let it out." It might have been a bit like you know when you go uh, to Africa where you get the anecdote. The antidote. So yes. they give you the poison. So the, the chili stayed in there to ward off all the other chilies. That's what happened, yeah. That's a, that's it's incredible. And do you know what? But I learned there are tremendous benefits to the chili. I didn't, I'm a complete convert. Like, it's very high. Well, so you'll have them now, then? I, I now eat them with my omelettes. I put chilies, hot chilies in my right. omelette. Because, A, it gives you a buzz. There are chili heads who go around. They get a legal high. And you see them. They go, ah, ah, ah. They go, oh. And when it when the relief of it is gone, it, you, you, you're buzzing. Second of all, there's, it's a great vitamin C, very high in vitamin C, so it's very very good for you. you. Don't get ill. A lot of people in India don't get colds. 
I had a cold last week. Didn't have a chili. I'm sure they do. They don't get colds and flus. No, not in, not not in India. If you if you have a high chili content, even people here who love it, they don't get colds. Well, weirdly, I uh, I once sent off for it was a great idea, but a spice pack from Sri Lanka, mm. and I had a friend over for dinner, and I made it, and uh, it was so hot, and I don't know if this happened to you in the documentary, where we couldn't stop laughing hysterically for yes. twenty minutes. We were so scared. Yes, that will happen. Yeah, you get high. Yeah, but, and you know what, what? And when you get when you eat the really hot stuff. As you're eating it, your heart rate is... Because I had... It was like a scientific... The heart rate monitors right. heat rigs so you can see infrared what's going on. My heart rate was so high. At one point, I was burning more calories than I was ingesting. Right. Incredible. So you lost a load of weight then? No, I put on a lot of weight. So you'd have that and then have a proper meal afterwards? Yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, that's, but it's nice to... Like, it's because like, you are a stand-up comic and then those other things I always see, they're like bonuses. Or do you still see yourself as an actor first? I was trained. You see, that's the thing. I was. I was never really even trained. I did. A, I did a theatre degree. Yeah, in Belfast. Uh, in Coleraine, actually, yeah. Coleraine. I did a theatre degree there. So I really believed, and it was one of those really worthy theatre things where we did like theatre in the community. We did uh. theatre and education, and I really believed theatre was going to heal the world of all of its ills. So really, I, re- I, I didn't want to just become an actor. I, I saw myself as an actor manager. So we we studied people like Burkhoff or. Um, we studied Augusto Boal and all these people who were actors who had, or Jersey Grotowski, people who had a certain philosophy of theatre and they got a whole bunch of actors around them who were always usually in loincloths and primal screaming somewhere. These right. black and white pictures from Poland. And you always, and I really believed I would eventually get a group of actors and create and, and take theatre to a nif- different level. And I saw people like Stephen Burkhoff of P- as people who took theatre through his particular style of truth by exaggeration. That was one level. And I would take it a different level to really connect with the community. And and uh, it never really... I think that I was never really accepted. I, I, that people couldn't take me seriously. Well, anywhere or in Coleraine? Anywhere, actually. So what age were you when you went there then? 20. Were you a little bit scared? Because th- that was the time of the troubles, yeah? Yeah. Were you scared? Because that's a big decision. It was a big decision to go, yeah. Because, like, you know, Belfast is sectarianism, and then they don't like outsiders either. They don't like outsiders, and also, as you're from the South, if you people are quite dark from the South. So I often wondered why they kept calling me Seamus. That was, uh, I said, why are you calling me Seamus? They said, Shimmy, all right, Shimmy. I said, right. what are you talking about? Said, yeah, you're from Cork. I said, no, we're talking about you know, I'm from London. He goes, "Hey, but you got Irish background." I said, "No, we don't know." And then they thought I was an Irish Catholic. That was so I kept. I kept seriously. So, I, so when I was playing football for the soccer team, the people said, "Get up off your hole, yeah, Fenian Turk." They kept calling Fenian Turk, yeah. Fenian this, and uh, it but was, was a, that as a joke or did they really think? No, they really meant it. That was when you're playing Donaghy reserves. Right, they, they, were, they were really quite hardened. And then, do you do you remember in March 1998 when? There were those two British squaddies who ended up at a uh, IRA funeral. Yeah, yeah, I think there'd been some IRA people. There some Irish people were killed at another funeral yeah. before, and they ended up and they pulled them out. Do you remember they? Pulled yeah, it was them horrific. Out? It was absolutely horrific. It was shown on television. I know. And they were driven away, and then I think summarily executed. Yeah, Lord knows why they thought that was a good idea to go to an IRA funeral. The, I think the story they, they didn't met. They, they were the, the story was the one squaddie was showing the other one. The, the, these are parts of Belfast you should learn on his day off. Driving them around, and they ended up there by God, mistake. That's so sad. So it's completely sad, and the, it was a very, very tense affair. And it was three days afterwards, and I'll never forget. I was just throwing stones 
on the prom. Soldiers. In, well, no. <laughs> now I was throwing stones. Um, into, I should never pause when I'm thinking, because <laughs> someone's going to come in with a gag. I just was, on a Friday night, I was throwing stones in the sea at Port Stewart, and somebody went, yeah, yeah, fucking something. Sorry, but I don't know if we yeah, can go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fucking wanger. Yeah, wanger, yeah. And I thought, these are probably students having a party. I'm a third people year. People like stones. Yeah, or, and I just thought, these people need to be taught lesson, because I'm, you know, and I, went, I, I took stones with me, and these people say, they say, what do you want? What do you want? I said, did you, uh, did you call me something back there? He said, hey, hey, you want to go? You want to, you want to fucking go? And I went, listen, you better be careful because I've got stones. The guy goes, what, what, he said, do you want your kneecaps blown off? And I went, <laughs> right. And he went in and his friend said, geez, boy, you better run. He's serious. And he came back with a rifle. Oh my God. And I just ran for my life. And I heard did two you first shots. go, are you an actor? <laughs> I just said, because I, I thought I was the one with the, the power with the Did stones. Did you have a big chip on your shoulder then? I, I'd always got into fights when I was younger, and I just, whenever, whenever, I think maybe it's just the way I was raised in Kensington. I, I always thought people I was soft touch, so you become hard. And I thought, I'm going to teach these guys a lesson. They're students, and they weren't, they were locals. Yeah. And, you know, they'll learn a lesson. And I'll, see, I'll mentor them for the rest of the year, and, they'll, and I'll teach them that you don't mess around in Northern Ireland with third years. And uh, they came chasing after me, and I ran through the back. And interestingly, I was renting a house, would you believe, from Jim Owen's, you know, the comic Jim yeah, Owen. I yeah. didn't know his his uh, father had a house. I was renting his father's house, wow. had a little small flat. <laughs> that's just that's just by the by. Yeah, yeah. And I hid round the back of this these dumpsters, and they ran past. They were trying to kill me. And then I went to the university the next day. I reported the incident. Um, Thinking I, they were students. Well, they weren't students. I just, I just said, look, this has happened to me. They tried to kill me. They took two shots at me. They came chasing after me. And the professor, Professor Welsh, who's now not with us anymore, he goes, just count yourself lucky. Don't report this to anyone. And we're not going to tell the RUC. We're not going to tell anyone. Just count yourself lucky. I said, are you serious? I don't report this. He goes, count yourself lucky. Because if you report this, then the locals will know yeah. there's someone after them. Then they'll, then they'll get you the next time. But from that day onwards, you carried all those stones with you. I just had stones in my satchel. (laughs) But, yeah, so so was that your first choice for, you know, because I know when you're thinking of going to university, was that your first choice, Colerain? Oh, God, I'm joking. That's what I was thinking. No, no, it wasn't. No, I went, that was through the... uh, the clearing system right ended up there, yes. So where did, you, to, <laughs> where did you want to go? The Bristol Old Cambridge. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I want to go to. Um, I never forget. I put down Bristol, Nottingham. I got in rejections because in those days you had to write three or four sentences, and I thought I'd go the funny route. And I remember uh, secret. What about why you wanted to go to their university? Yeah, you have to say why. And I wrote down, I'm a self-confessed chicken strangler and a loathsome spotted reptile because I'd heard that on a secret policeman's ball thing, right. thinking I'm a funny guy, and I got one offer from cardiff with this long-haired hippie teacher because spotted reptile you know chicken strangler love it and this was all to to do drama degrees to do drama but i didn't get the grades and if you read my book i have possibly the most disastrous a level in history for drama you just really need to get english though don't you english yeah english and one other i did three you just i didn't need an a and a b or two b's but i got f's and o level passes so i went Come here! No, not even Colerain, not even Colerain. No, I lied. I lied I, on the uh, clearing thing. I thought, oh, God. I got one E in something, a one E and a D and a couple of Fs. And um, I found if I, if you just draw a little bum on the certificate, if you draw the bum over the E, it turns into a B if you do it properly. And um, I tried to get in to Salford like that, and they said, no, there's a computer database. Right. The database never lies, so don't try that. I thought, okay. And then when the clearing forms came, you've got to write in by hand 
what you're and I thought well they know what it is on database I'm just going to lie so I put B C D I thought that sounds right for clearing I put it in and a place came up at Ulster and I went there thinking I'll get found out they said did you bring a certificate I went no he goes oh we'll just go and look at the database and the database said B C D so somehow through a miracle well no because Ireland's 10 years behind probably uh, they didn't have computers or maybe they're just desperate because nobody wanted to go to the university they said look we'll make him think that he's got the right grades, even though he's got he's an idiot. But we'll take him along. Yeah, because that was the first thing that surprised me. Because I didn't. Re- cause is, is your wife Irish as well? No, she's uh, English Scottish. That's, that's Irish, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Actually, originally, yeah, I think on her mother's side, the Murph, they're Murphys. Yeah, from Longford, I think. Well, Longford, that's worse than cold, right? I heard, yeah, that's what I hear. They're all pretty crazy there. She's yeah. not proud of it. So, so your upbringing, you got into a lot of fights then as a kid. I did, yes. I was just into. I don't know why. But ever since I've known you, you've been kind of a really soft, bubbly kind of guy. I have, yeah. But when I was younger, I just had one of those faces, which I think you know when you have a reptilian reaction to someone. There was kids in my area where, you know, they lived part. They lived in a cul-de-sac, on the other side of a passageway, and that to me that was a different world. And if they'd ever come into our patch, you just look at them and you had this reptilian. And I realised later on, we used to that have That was fights actually them. an episode of Doctor Who and not no. your childhood. <laughs> no, they were actually, they, were, they became Chelsea headhunters. They were like proper hooligans. The ones who were... The ones who had fights when I was a kid, they were actually hooligans. They became C18 and all that. And, but then you became a Chelsea fan when you saw them. Yeah? And I was really hoping, I said, look, I'm a Chelsea fan as well. We never talked about Chelsea then. Please, like, can you protect me? But they never did. They never found out that I was a Chelsea fan. But so, and have, like, why did your uh, parents have to leave Iran? They didn't have to leave Iran. I mean, they, in the end, they couldn't go back because they left in 58 because my mother had a whim. She wanted to live in England. And then the 1979 Islamic Revolution happened. And because my family, we're not Muslims, we're Baha'is, which are very much, a, the Baha'is are a persecuted minority. So we couldn't really go back. But is it, is, is it a form of a Muslim, though? No, it's, it's um, I mean, it grew out of, There's a connection with Islam in the same way there's a connection between Judaism and Christianity. Christianity grew out of, I mean, Jesus was a Jew, but they're completely separate faiths. So the Baha'i faith grew out of Islam in the same way, but they're not Muslims. But the Baha'i faith absolutely endorses, in the same way Christians endorse Jews, but Jews don't endorse Christians. The Baha'is completely... Typical. The Baha'is endorse the Muslims, but the Muslims don't recognise the Baha'is. But then the Baha'is, who's their God then? They, their, their prophet's called Baha'u'llah, which means the glory of God. Right, so it's not a person. It is a person, yeah. It's a person who came and declared himself in the mid-19th century. As, as the, actually, what his claim is extraordinary, but the Baha'i claim is extraordinary. He is not just... Because the Baha'is believe that religion is basically one, God is one, and religion is this kind of different chapters of the same book. And every now and again... Um, Religion is renewed. It's the same spirit, but they go in different places, which is why some of the social teachings are different, like one eats pork, one doesn't. Um, but actually, in spirit, they're the same. But all religions talk about one day when the world is slowly becoming one. There needs to be a religion for the whole world. And the Baha'is believe that that's the faith for the world now because it's a fulfillment of Islam, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism. And was he an Iranian prophet, though? He was an, an Iranian nobleman, actually. Right. Yeah, he was a nobleman who then was rejected and then kind of wandered around like Jesus, I suppose, until he, he died in 1892. And you still believe, yeah? I, I was... Um, the Baha'is believe in kind of... You have to personally investigate. You don't just become a Baha'i. So my parents were never really 
pushy with it, but I kind of found it for myself when I was about 21. I was a bit more conscious, and it made it all, it all kind of made sense to me. After you nearly got killed by the... Uh, After nearly got... It was actually at university. I thought, these yeah. people are crazy. Um, I, I kind of dis- investigated it myself, and I, I, thought, I thought, well, if you're going to be... If you're going to accept... If you're going to embrace religion... You can't just embrace one aspect of religion and then say the rest of it's ridiculous. And I think there was a Baha'i, um, there was a Baha'i prayer that said that if you reject one of the prophets, you're kind of rejecting them all. So you can't really be a Muslim and reject Moses. Yeah, it's, it's kind of so. It was the only faith that was so inclusive of them all. And I thought, if I'm going to buy into this, I have to somehow make sense. I can't reject Christ because I like Jesus. When I, I went to Church of England school, and I like Jesus, and I thought, well, how can I? still maintain a love for Jesus. And I felt the Baha'i faith was it. I could, I could love Jesus. I could love Baha'u'llah, which was the prophet of the Baha'is. I kind of like um, Muhammad from what I was taught about my, the good side of Islam. And, yeah. the, and Islam is actually a great faith. It's just very much the schisms have just totally transformed it. And I kind of like Buddhism too, and it kind of made sense but to have me. You got a, is there a, a kind of your version of the Bible then as well? There's no one Bible because so much was written. I mean, Baha'u'llah wrote... A hundred volumes of stuff, which he said was autobiographies. T- it was all autobiographies, lots of pictures of me. Um, <laughs> but they, but they said, um, but he said it was basically because this is a faith that has to last over a thousand years. Not all of it's been translated, and not all of it kind of makes makes total sense to everyone now. But that even this stuff was revealed over a hundred years ago, and which is things, nothing. Which is in nothing. Religious terms, which some people at the time didn't understand, but now we understand. I mean, he talks about. Um, how the world's going to be able to communicate with, with through, I can't remember what the word is, but... Community like, theatre? Like, well, he's, talk, he's talking about the internet, he's talking about things that people didn't know what we were talking about, stuff wow. that, you know, so it's kind of fascinating. And so that's what, you're, you're a believer then, yeah? I, it's something that I, like I said, I do, I do believe, and I've left my children to discover it, they've kind of, the ones who are old enough, they kind of, they get it, they all think it all, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I wasn't even aware of this religion. You're not, well, that's another thing. Baha'is don't proselytize. They don't go around screaming around saying we're the best. And but have you got, is there a church in London, though? There is a Baha'i centre. We, we don't believe in priesthood. That's another no. thing. We don't believe in churches because Baha'is believe that the only reason for priests was because people couldn't read. And the priests are the only ones who could read the Bible and transmit it. So everyone can read. Everyone can live the life. And you don't need some person to help interpret for yourself. So, yes, it's something I've... I've embraced, you know, I'm not one of those kind of closet Christian, uh, like, like, you know, like those footballers, I think there's a, like, what is it, Raheem Sterling and oh, yeah? Sturridge and Rooney, they're all, and, and now uh, Kieran Richardson, they're all like these raging Christians who kind of keep it quiet. And I've always been open about being a Baha'i, and I'm, I'm actually quiet. I think I'm one now. What? A Baha'i. You're a Baha'i, yeah. I, yeah. I spoke to Sean Locke about it, and Sean Locke said, I'm, I'm a Baha'i, this all makes total sense to me. He goes, but hang on, I've got an important question. What goes, are you allowed to drink? I said, not really, because, ah, well, shame. <laughs> you can count me out. So there's loads of He rules became Hudson. You can count me out! <laughs> but so, but I thought there was, like, it was just a general rule of you have to love every prophet, though. But they have rules, like, don't drink, don't... They do have, yeah, like, you're not really supposed to um, drink alcohol. You're not really supposed to take drugs. Anything. I mean, there are reasons given. It's all about the body being a temple. And it's like, do what you like, but just realise the damage you're doing to yourself and you're changing your, your brain cells, so... Yeah, but I've got enough. But you know, there should be things. That it all says about. It also talks about moderation. But see, and that's, I eat, that's I the eat. word I was about to say about yeah. your uh, prophet feels like he's a moderator in that sense. Of going, yeah, yeah. You know, moderation is. A, it says moderation in all things. And look at me. Except look, booze. Well, and I, I should be slapped to my wrist for, 
for eating too much as well. That's my so, problem. But like you were, you were always quite rotund, though. Like you know, the, and it suits I wasn't you. Always no, actually, no, obviously not when you're a kid. Do you know where I became rotund when I became a comic? From eating late at night. I was very fit up until I, I became a comic when I was 29, and I got married when I was 26. And my wife said, when, "Once you started going on the road, that I just because I saw you one day, it just like it." it you, you, were, you were slowly getting fat, then suddenly you were just obese. And I thought, I have to say something. It's because I love you and you are who you are. But I really felt you're going to die when you're like 35. So she put a stop to it. So were you much uh, bigger? I, I was, there was one point I was humongous. I think it was after I did the film The Mummy. I became really... Because I was free, doing free film. Free catering. Free catering, free food. Yeah, yeah, and you're bored on those sets as well. Yeah, yeah. So that's what happened. Yeah. eating all the time. God, that's... Uh, and so, but now you're trying to lose weight. I'm trying to lose weight, yeah. I, also because I love playing football, and my doctors have said, you can play football, but you seriously need to lose. Yeah, but I'm the goalpost, actually. No, they, they, they told me that you've got to lose weight because it's not good for your knees. Every one pound you put on, four pounds extra goes through the knees. Yeah, but it's also, look, at 48, you're kind of battling a kind of lost cause because the, bo- the belly does spread at, at middle age anyway. It does. There's a picture of me in the book, actually, said there's a big picture of me playing football. and I, It's a very brave picture because my belly is huge and I've got football boots on. And I say, it's me playing football. I like to play left back, but my belly fancies itself a bit, bit of a striker. Right. My belly is so massive. I mean, you can't even do jokes but, like John Fothergill that this is, like, this is my yeah. willy. You can't do that. I, I look but obese. You, you st- strike me as someone who was not that concerned about the vanity of that. I wasn't until I started seeing myself on TV. That's what happens. You see yourself in films and TV and you think, I am the fat guy. That's it. I'm the fat guy. But weirdly, like, um, I, I put on a bit of weight a couple of years ago. Cause I st- you lost it, really. You were yeah, you great. And I asked, I asked, but weird, this is the weird thing, like, you know, when you're talking about vanity. I was in a Marks and Spencer's yesterday and there's this old biddy, one of the checkout girls, and uh, she, uh, she chats, you know, because she, she recognises me. And uh, I was at a different till yesterday and she was talking to a customer about me. Um, you know, she's one of those people. Oh my God, yeah. And I thought I was going a bit crazy because I was just uh, the sort of yeah, yeah, an actor because they, they didn't understand comedy. Go, this actor guy, he, he was in the Buzzcocks. Oh, he's <laughs> put on a load of weight. He looks like an old man now. Oh no! And I was nearly going to go over and go, "That's me." She's talking about because I actually look quite good at the moment. But just to wow! Put it, but I just left it. W- what would you have done in that situation? I would have gone home and cried. I would have gone home and just thought about slashing my wrists. I've, but I've heard people talk like that. But hey, this is what I mean. You, like people talk about you all the time because that's the nature of like social media and yeah. yeah. Well, when I lost weight a little bit, and someone said, "Oh, you look like that guy who is that comic comedian guy, who, who, who?" And he went, um, "You know, um, bald guy." Oh, him? Yeah, in fact, really fat. I mean, like really, like I'm worried about him. I thought, "Oh, that's me." <laughs> and he said, "No, no, no, it's not you. It's not you. You look like him though." And then when he said, when he goes, "The fat guy," he's I'm worried about him. He's going to die. That's when I thought, "Oh my god." But, be careful. but you take those things to heart, though. Yeah. yeah? But do. you take all criticism to heart. Don't you? Don't we all? As, as momentarily, though. But you, you can't live your life by, uh, you know, doing it that way, like, you know. I, I know that I uh, did an interview once, and uh, I was going up to Cumbria, and we did a... I was doing some warm-up gigs, and, you know, Boothby, you know, Boothby Graffo yeah. comes out with me, and... We had, he's your support, actually. He, would you believe? He, he actually wanted to support me. And I thought, he's <laughs> ten times better than me. And it, it is so funny, because whenever he does really well, I said, you did great, Booth, but you got some uh, rounds of applause. He goes, I'm really sorry, that won't happen again. <laughs> he's really, really nervous about it. But we did this one great gig. He had a great gig, and, I ha- and amazingly, I had a better gig. 
and then we just saw this one star review afterwards and and i thought wow that kind of happened but he really took it to heart he was really like upset and learnt the review and quoted it and there was stuff like you know Ami Jalili is better than Boothby Grafo in the sense that emphysema is better than full-blown lung cancer. But it was all stuff like that. It was quite yeah. funny. Yeah, but obviously this person went into that game with mm. an agenda, you know? Probably, yeah. But, but it does th- hurt, doesn't it? But, yeah, but as I say, but, like, for, for a moment, and then you just pass on to the next moment. And that's why we're comics, because we've developed this thick skin. I've developed such a thick skin now. People have called... I've, I've, people have said things to me, and my wife says, are you not going to say something? You can't... You can't. I don't mean it. You know, you should say something. As uh, screw you, (laughs) I try to pretend to be angry. Yeah, when you're out and about, someone. Yeah, if someone says something that's slightly disrespectful, my wife will say, you know, give him an answer, say something. I'm not bothered. I'm not bothered at all. Like yeah, because also too short. That could easily get into the media if you like really have a pop at someone as well. Yeah, and I've had to uh, kind of control my. We've all got tempers, and with things people say, things. Actually, the only time that really got pushed over the edge. Was I was telling someone on Twitter, never, ever respond. You know, people, because they're just trying to get an answer from yeah. you. So don't, you know. And I think somebody wrote, Amit Jalili, I thought I was following Stavros Flatley. Lol. I went, screw you, go fuck oh, yourself. No. And I, I've done it. Let's, let's finish this podcast on that one. And we'll, we'll talk the second one about more the comedy life. Okay. So that, thank you, Ahmed. Uh, you've been listening to Under the Radar. Go see Ahmed on tour. And go see me on tour as well. Uh, this is Under the Radar with Sean Hughes.